everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And with us today, we have special guest, author Lucy Monroe. Welcome to the podcast. Can you introduce yourself? I am yourself? so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it is such an off, like, we're just so happy to have you with us today. So, um, okay, so just a little thing. When we were prepping for this episode, I was like, me and Sarah were chatting and I'm like, okay, well, we're going to talk to her, but the book isn't out yet. But by the episode, by the time it releases, the book will be out. So yes. we are chatting with you today about all the things, but the book specifically is Queen by Royal Appointment. So do yeah. you do anything fun to celebrate your release days or do you just celebrate? Like we've heard some authors say that they celebrate more when they sell the book. So tell us how you celebrate what you do. <laughs> no. I celebrated when I sold the book with the first book the most. And after that, I celebrate the release because okay. then kind of the selling the book is, I don't know, it's, it's just become a different thing. It's no longer that huge, oh, I sold it. It's now it's out there for readers to connect to. So yes, it's big to me. Um, prior to COVID, we would like get together as a family. My kids get in on it. They will come and they're adults and they have, I have five grandchildren and they'll come and we'll go to dinner. And let me tell you, I had a couple of years where I had like eight or 10 books released. We did almost all of them. I won't say all of them, but we did like, you know, a dinner or like get together and do something fun. And now we'll, we still will do like dinner. We might door dash it. Um, Mm -hmm. We will get together, like go for a walk or, but it is, it's a big deal. I like release day is important. And I went through a period when I was, it was just prior to that burnout I went through and I went like three years without writing um, where I wasn't doing any of that. And I will never let it go again because I love what I do. And I feel super, super blessed that I get to do it. And every book that comes out is a triumph for me. Like, it's like, yes. I get to share this story with readers and you touch readers' hearts and romance is so much bigger than just meet cute and oh, it's a great ending. There is so much meat in a romance and I love it. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. I kind of go on. So I'll try <laughs> no, to- fine. That's, that's, <laughs> that's okay here. That is what we're here for. That's right. <laughs> There's always edit. There's always edit. <laughs> <laughs> on your website, you write that Romance became your passions when you you swiped a Harlequin Presents from your sister's bedside table, which we thought was the cutest thing. We love stories like that. So what was it about the present series that you fell in love with and that inspired your love of the romance genre? Because that's really where it started. And I it totally did. And it's funny because prior to that, um, I was a huge reader and I read like, you know, the the uh, grade school, that's what we called it back in the day, grade school, mm-hmm. uh, library from one end of the library all the way to the other. So every book, every shelf, the whole library. And I did that in middle school too, but I started, it was the first year of middle school. I was 12 when I typed that first book, maybe 11, maybe it was 11. <laughs> and um, she, she found out when I, she read my website a few years back. I mean, like, so. you went all this time and she didn't know. No, oh, she, had never she was older than me. So she had no concept that I was reading her, like not appropriate to my age books. Um, but it was, it was the heroes. It was, I had grown up in a, in a, um, my dad 
he was messed up. He was a broken person. And I read about these guys who put their family first in a really like, yes, alpha way, but like they did it. And there was this integrity and ah, they were they, the fidelity. And I just, I looked at it. And I was just like, there could be somebody out there like that. There's there are men like that. Cause, and, um, and it, it helped me to redefine what I wanted to. So I sort of held out and I married an amazing guy and he is like my hero and has been now for almost, well, it will have been 33 years when this goes. And yeah, Congratulations. it, 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 was, it yes. wasn't the heroine story, which is like what I really kind of sometimes focus in on when I'm writing, but it was the fact that there were these amazing guys that I just was like, okay, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want. See, that makes me want to cry because <laughs> I think that that is now that I like I didn't start reading romance until I was about to turn 30. So yeah. I am like late to the game, but I'm, I'm glad to be here. But like, I wish that I would have picked them up yeah. back when I was younger, because yeah. I mean, it is what it is, but like I made some dumb choices as a girl and I really feel like now, I mean, I, I have a daughter now and I'm like, I can't wait for her to just be like, swipe, you don't even have to swipe. Here you go. Here yeah. you go. Because I think that there's yeah. something really empowering that romance Agreed. is doing yeah. that. Yes. I'm like, if any young girl wants to read them, yes. the, the stuff that we are getting, it shows you like, this is out there. Don't yes. settle. It's yeah. out mm -hmm. there. You know, the people who criticize romance and it's a lot of it's, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, but it's a lot of it's guys and, and they criticize it. And I think the people who criticize romance and say it puts unrealistic expectations of relationship of your partner. Those are people who don't want to invest what you need to invest in a really strong relationship. My husband and I give it all to each other and have done so for over three decades. And I think that's what it takes. I think both people have to be super like in it a hundred percent. And yeah, I, I think if you read romance and you come out thinking, Hey, this relationship is kind of toxic for me. Isn't a great idea. That's a good thing. That's not a unrealistic expectation. That's a, Oh, wait a minute. I deserve better moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll have that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love romance. I think it is wow. a fantastic. I, I won't say that not, there are problematic books just like in any other genre. There's, and what might be problematic for me may not be problematic for you. This is also a reality, right? Like, yeah. um, and that's okay. It's, I don't expect perfection in my genre. I just love it. I love what yeah. I do and I love reading it. And, and I read everything. I, well, no, okay. There's some genres I don't read, but not many. I love nonfiction. I love most fiction. So I know from where I speak because I read very widely. That's good. <laughs> it's a very good genre. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really inspiring to see that you're writing books for the series. That was the series that yeah. made you a romance reader. Um, though on your website, you write that it was your 13th yes. manuscript that was finally sold to Harlequin yeah. Present. So was it once you discovered you enjoyed reading romance that you realized you wanted to write them yourself or had you always been writing and you write on the website that your path to publication wasn't easy. So I was 
hoping any advice you would give to aspiring writers currently in the sure. process of trying to get published because you 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 told on your blog i'm just throwing yeah. your blog out there because it's well, incredible go ahead, go ahead. you were in the bathtub and that's when yep. you were like yes you had that moment of like i can do this I did nine years later having a conversation with god and like however you connect to the divine it does not matter because it's mm -hmm. like that that's that connection we have and i was having that conversation which was like and i wouldn't even say it was a great place always to have a connection because my kids like to bathe, right? With mom. Actually on my own. So that yeah. was kind of awesome. And my first book I wrote was nonfiction. And it um and I it took me forever. That first book took like two and a half years. And then um and during that time I had started also an inspirational romance. And took the same amount of time for a very short, we're talking like 35,000 word book. Then I had a dream and it was a historical, it was Regency. It took me six weeks to write. And I was like, huh, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be writing. And I did, I did a lot of self-searching and um, introspection about what I should be writing. And I realized I love sexy romance. I believe there's a really great message in sexy romance about women empowerment and the, and, and our, um, our power over our bodies and the fact that we're all allowed to have pleasure in intimacy. Like that is so important. And yeah. I will tell you the first like five years of publication, I probably got a reader letter a year, at least, if not more. And in the first year, more, um, from women who were like, it's so great because to, to read a book that says it's okay to, for women to enjoy sex. Yeah. And isn't that, you know, like now we kind of, I think we take it pretty for granted. And it's not like I published so long ago. My first book came out in 2003, but it was still very much, especially within the Christian community, um, there was this idea that you weren't supposed to. And I was like, uh-uh, no, <laughs> no, that's not right. That's not right. Yeah. So, um, but as far as... The, it being the 13th book, it's so interesting because I wrote 12 books and I didn't even try presents. You know what? Because they didn't buy new authors back then. Okay. Jane Porter um, was bought three years before me and she was the first new author they'd bought in like nine years. Wow. So like I thought there was no chance. So I didn't try because it was like, I knew I wanted to write romance, but I didn't ever think I could write for presents. And I had an agent back then. Um, it, this was before the agent I got later and she was holding my manuscripts back she wasn't she'd signed me but then decided she didn't really like my work and wanted me to rewrite everything and so the only thing that wasn't under contract with her for her representation was category length romance like presents mm -hmm. so i said well i'm gonna write a presents because i need to write i'm not writing one more book to just sit on her desk and during the process of writing it, I did actually fire her in. So then it all kind of came around to full circle. But by the time I had it written, I um, went to an RW conference and I met Kim Young, who is now a publishing executive for HarperCollins. But back then she was an acquiring editor and she liked the sound of the book. I sent it and it was like we were on a family vacation. And by the time I got to the next stop, she wanted the full. So I'm printing it out at a Kinko's and sending it <laughs> off to England in California. I live in Oregon, by the way. And <laughs> it was like, so then we get all the way home from vacation and there's the phone call. Oh and my gosh. It was wow. amazing. It was truly an amazing moment, but it did, it took me nine years. And I will tell this, it's what I say to every aspiring author, do not give up. 
you can't guarantee you will succeed, but you can guarantee you will fail if you give up. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is like, that was my mantra for nine years. And that is what I tell people, but I will, I have added something new to that because I have found it to be so true. What is one editor's dross is another editor's gold and dross means garbage, right? It's the, mm-hmm. it's the excess off the burn, right? It's what they throw away because I have had editors turn a book down that I turn to another editor's like, Oh my gosh, I love this. And yeah. so it really is about personal preference and what's open in the line right now and like all of those things. And so don't ever just assume that you're crap as a writer just because someone doesn't buy your book. You know, you re- it's really believe in your story and believe in yourself. That doesn't mean don't, you know, critique partners are awesome. It's terrific to get contest feedback. I'm going to go on a little bit, but I truly believe you're going to do contests, do them like in twosies, threesies, because when you get judges feedback and you think that that's like the legit thing on your book, it feels so real, but you get three on the same book. You have nine judges, maybe six, depending on how many judges in a contest you can say, Oh, you know what? Only one person said this. It's probably not true. It's probably not a legit criticism or five out of six people said, I need to put dialogue tags on because they don't know who's talking. Oh, I should put dialogue tags on. You know, so it's just, that's the thing. And, um, but I do, I love to mentor. I love when other, you know, authors reach out to me. I do not read manuscripts for other authors, but I will love, I love to chat and talk about like the process and help when I can, because I believe that we all help each other. I got a lot of help on the way up. Lori Foster, Debbie Maycumber were two really wonderful mentors for me, Teresa Scott. Um, and I feel super blessed by that. And I just try to pass that on. To people now that makes me happy because Debbie Maycomber was my first romance author. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she is a very precious person. She is a she very is. her heart is so precious. I love her heart, and you yeah. can tell that like you're like it's just like part of you to help because you yeah. have a YouTube channel with videos. I do. When are we going to get some new? Some that was what I started in COVID. I was like, what can I do just to sort of put some more positivity out there and help people? And so I started doing these craft videos. And I am actually, it's been a while. I need to do another one. But it's, you know, what do you need to hear? What do you guys want to know? What You know, that yeah. kind of thing. So, I need to check that out. <laughs> so let me know if there's a video you want and I'll try to do one on whatever <laughs> it is. So Oh, don't tell us that because yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. I'm all it's like because I just it's I, I love workshops. I love I have absolutely nothing against paying for workshops, but I do think that I like to just put it out there so that people can kind of get it mm-hmm. and get the help and then then maybe they look for something else from someone else who they might pay or whatever, but it gets you started on a journey and it gives you some ideas to get going, which Mm -hmm. we all need. Mm -hmm. We all need a helping hand once in a while. I mean, I just want to hear the process. I mean, this is like a plug for an idea, but like getting started, that sounds like the most intimidating part is getting started. Start writing the book. You know, it's funny because when people ask, they ask two questions, like where do your ideas come from? And Mm -hmm. How do you make time to write? And both questions I really struggle with because I don't understand. And for a long time, didn't realize that people didn't tell stories in their heads 
all the time. I would say if my mouth was shut, I was telling a story in my head. I didn't know people didn't do that. I thought everyone did that. That's like how everybody's brain works. So it was totally startling to me to get married to a man who's like, and I'd say, what do you think? He's like, nothing. I'm like, no, no, really. What are you thinking about? Like, what story are you telling? He's like, um, honey, I don't know. Like, what? So, so the, but the, for me, the process can be, I have a dream and I see characters or I see a scene. The scene may never make it into the book, but it sparked the idea for the story. Or I will sit down and I will like, just this character will come to me and they want their story told. Then I have to find out what their story is. I'm an organic writer. I, I did plot, I did plot cards and I was always, you know, deviating from the plot by about the third uh, chapter in the book. Um, synopses. If I would send a synopsis in, my book never resembled the synopsis past the third ch- uh, paragraph in the synopsis. Oh, wow. And so we we came to terms, my publishers and I, and I submit full books because that's just how it works better. And there's no feeling of like being tied to a story that isn't actually the story that was supposed to be written. Um, but yeah, I think it's really up to you. Are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? How do you find out? You write, you yeah. sit down and you write, you look at that blank page. And instead of seeing something blank, you just like close your eyes maybe for a minute and you see your characters. And then maybe you just start writing with your eyes shut. And if that sounds woo woo, maybe it is a little, but it's like, it's letting your characters live inside of your head and your heart for the time that you're writing their story. Yeah. And they have to have space in your life. So that's, that's what writing is about. It, you don't get time to write. You make time to write because you can't not write. Yeah. And I think the hardest part of when I was in burnout and also there were a lot of health issues going on for me at that time. But the hardest part of that was I didn't have writing and writing is my best friend. Writing yeah. is always my safe space. Now I'm not saying my husband's an amazing safe space. Mm-hmm. I've got BFFs and I just love them to death. But when I sit down to write, I process feelings that maybe I'll never talk to another human being about, you know, and those feelings come out in the story. Have you been doing anything to, now that you've experienced the burnout to Mm. ensure that like you don't hit that again? Like, what does Mm -hmm. that look like for you? Absolutely. One thing I do not do is give my, is uh, do deadlines. So we put placeholder deadlines in our, in my contract. So they are like at the end of a year beyond when the book is actually going to get turned in. Um, Because deadlines for me are like, they're just killer. They just kill my creativity. I don't voice deadlines to people. I don't say I'm going to get this book done by this date. Now, once in a while, like right now I'm working on a book that I'm trying to get done by a certain time for my publisher, but um, it's, there's a, it's, it's very loose and it feels very, I don't feel stressed about it because I know the story is there and it's coming. I also, I used to set goals always at the top. And if you watch my goal setting video, I talk about this. It was like, I always ran at 350 RPM, right? So I always set goals at the top end of my capability. So yes, I can write five to 10,000 words a day. But if I do that every day, I will burn my brain out and then I will stop being able to write any words in a day. And it started where I would just need a day or two of recovery and then it would become a month or two of recovery from too many days of writing too many books. Um, I will never 
I do not want to put out more than one book every four months. That's like my max or three months, I guess, because it'd be four books here. That'd be my max uh, because there's a lot of stress in release. You'd have to do so much, you know, that you put out there to try to get the book out. And also when you write a book, that's great, but then there's the editing process. And so always when you're writing a new book, you have an old book coming in that needs edits, revisions, or just to be read through for errors in the copy editing process. All of that takes time. It takes creative energy. You only have so much creative energy. So I do, I really protect it. And I am, and I, I try, I, I don't ever tell people, I, I can be bossy, but not about writing usually. And <laughs> I try not to tell people don't do this, but, but I will say, you know, just be cautious if you are writing at the top of your capability, your creative capability, at some point your brain will stop working. And then you don't know how long it will take to heal. And for some people, if it's the initial burnout, like my first experience with burnout, I didn't even know it was that. It only lasted a month. Then it was three months. And then it just kept getting bigger until for like three years, I could not finish a book. I would sit down, I'd write like 250 words and then be done. I would lose all my mojo. And yes, there were health, there were health issues. And so I do also watch my health and I watch what I'm doing. And and when I'm having like massive migraines, I let my editor know I'm not going to get as many words written this, this month Mm -hmm. as I would a month where I'm not battling a migraine every day. So, but yeah, no, you've got to protect yourself and, um, Ask yourself, what is the most important? And if it is, if your career is like the top, that there's no issue with that. But if you're me and spending time with your grandchildren or your children, your adult children, because I love them to death. Um, if that is like your top priority, then you set your goals based on my top priority is not hitting New York Times bestselling list. My top priority is actually having time for my family. Yes, I love writing. But how someone else defines success is not how I define success yeah, for me, yeah. right? My definition is touching the heart of a reader that then I'm a successful author. For another person, it's legit. They want to hit a certain place on a list. So they're going to prioritize differently. Sure. But just be aware of maybe what you're doing. So yeah, that's, sorry. See, I get into mom mode really easy. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Well, right? I mean, speaking of touching the heart of readers, Okay. Tell us about this project that you have going on that's oh 1920s God. LA and then Cairo, Egypt. I know, right? And then it goes down into Upper Egypt, right? Because okay. it's a dig, it's an archaeological dig. So I have been studying um, Egyptian archaeology and ancient Egypt for over a decade because it's just a fascination of mine. And I love it. And someday I'm going. Like it was a plan to go last year, but like that did not. And like, how's it going to happen? Right. (laughs) And who knows now when I get to go, but I have researched it so much, read so many books on it, um, watched so many documentaries and I just love it. But I'm like, how do I write a story that is my story to tell and not, not write a story that isn't my story to tell about a country, right. That is in Africa. Yeah. So that's super important to me. And So then I did, I started playing with the idea of like, who are my characters and why are they there? And I'm not just working on one book set in Egypt right now. I'm actually working on two. Oh gosh. (laughs) And they're set a hundred years apart, both of them in archaeological sites, but one is in um, 1820, 
1819, and the other one is 1923. And so what we knew in archaeology is so different between 1819 and 1923. It's like, it's really important not to get this messed up about like what they knew and what they're talking about and what digs have been discovered and which ones hadn't, who the archaeologists on in the know were at that time, what was going on in the Egyptian government, like what kind of control they had. Interestingly enough, both periods is right after an uprising and Egypt is calling for its own independence. And so I like to bring that in and talk about what it means to be an archaeologist and what it means to take artifacts out of a country. And is that okay? I don't get preachy, but it's like my characters care. They care about like this issue. And so, yeah, it's going to come up, but, um, but yeah, so the, the, the one, the 1920s one, is she is a very independent woman who's had a very, she's had a a very difficult time. She was married and had a miscarriage and got depressed after her miscarriage. And um, she, her husband put her in a sanatorium. And this comes from, I love ancestry research, right? So one of my ancestors, her husband did that and put her in a sanatorium because she it was so was easy to do back then right. they yeah. Had, yeah. Had complete control of their wives lives and so it was in that era it was in the 1920s and she was put in and she actually ended up almost nine years living in the sanatorium now that's wow. not my heroine's experience she's going to have a six month she had a six month stint but it was terrible it was a terrible experience and the feeling of helplessness and being trapped and she never wants to be married again because the whole concept of having someone control your life is just not acceptable. You're also in the 1920s when there's it's the it's the time of the flapper and there's so much freedom. And yet, I mean, women have just got the vote, but and but you and have <laughs> women who don't have full control over their lives. If her, her, her dad steps in, the same thing could happen to her, even as a widowed woman. She didn't have that full autonomy that we, you know, that we experience today, like my husband tried to put me in a center. I'm like, yeah, no, you know, um, and so her dad is sending her brother off to this dig in Egypt to get him out of town because he is gay and he has kissed another man in public. Now the father is not homophobic, but he is worried for his son because in the 1920s you went to jail and or prison if you were same-sex relationship, right? So, um, but he doesn't want, obviously, he's not, the twin brother is not at all interested in going on an archaeological dig, but she's dying for the chance. Yeah. Dying for it. He is totally into the theater. So it all can, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, You know, you set off, you turn off your your, your sound, but the alarms still go. Anyway, um, (laughs) So it, it's kind of convoluted, but fun because he wants to go to Germany to make more powerful movies, right? Mm-hmm. And she, and at that time, Germany, it was right before the rise of Hitler. So there was this freedom of artistic expression happening in the 1920s that was amazing. And so yeah. he wants to go and be part of that. And she wants to go to the dig. So she pretends to be him. Yeah. And like, nice. we're not going to be surprised that she and the grumpy professor head archaeologist of the dig have the hots for each other and or end up in bed together and you know 
he knows that she's a woman and that whole like so he's the only person in Egypt who knows she's not his bro- her brother and it's just and it it's just it's a fun it's a fun story but it plays with a lot of different things and and allows us to look at the world from like a maybe a bigger perspective mm-hmm. i've never written just straight up romance with nothing like i've had a lot of lgbtq characters in my stories i like to write a diverse story and this this book is no different it's just Oh my gosh, I love the story. Sorry, but I just Yay! Love it. No, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love Egyptian history. The I history nerds in us are just yes. yeah. <laughs> and so this and this archaeologist, his like interest is in um the traditional Egyptian life as opposed to the life of the pharaohs. So yes. in the 1920s, during these two years, 1921 to like 19, actually to 1925, they were digging up a ton of um graves down in upper egypt of regular people right Mm -hmm. and so like we we know that was going on and so this is his interest he wants proof that the right the average person worshiped pharaoh or that you know like so he's looking into the graves and of course he has a different way of things he's like he reburies the dead and he respects them and he Mm -hmm. doesn't take the stuff out and so his attitude and his viewpoint was very um uncommon but it wasn't impossible there were archaeologists that did these exact things that did sketches instead of taking and like so i just it's like when i write a a character in the middle ages and i don't write a hero that beats his wife because there were plenty of people that didn't just because it was legal to do it so you know like i write a hero who is to me a hero Mm -hmm. and what i i think just sounds so much so fun about it is like I used to love historical fiction, but I got really burnt out because it's like certain eras just sell. Like World yeah. War II, people yeah. don't care yeah. what it's about. They're yeah. going to get it. In this world of romance, it's the Regency. And I'm like, yo, like I'm a history major. There are plenty of other Right. Parts of history that yes. I want to see. People yes. fell in love all throughout time. So, oh, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, you know what I love about the 20s is that dichotomy, right? Because you have this, this difference between freedom and not freedom for women, yeah. for men, for people. Like there was a class structure in America that we don't talk about that existed in the 20s. Mm-hmm. It exists now, but we pretend it doesn't, yeah. you know? And, um, and also there was, there were elements, there was telephones, there was electricity. We were, we had streetcars. We had, you know, it, we had cars, people drove mm-hmm. in the twenties. And so it's like, it's history and it's, and yet it's relatable because we can look and we can see what well, this was the beginning of this, or this was the like words. I love words. And so like the introduction of the word, okay, from the first world war. Right. And so then yeah. that becomes part of our vocabulary in this book. And, and they even talk about, Oh, I like that word. And it's cool that we use it now. And, you know, like, I say it all the I, time. You know, like, I can out with stuff like that. But I do so much research. I mean, I remember the first Regency I wrote, I read 43 nonfiction books in order to write oh that goodness. one. Oh, <laughs> my God. And, and I can't, like, I have a library, you know, like, it's just full of, this is all my nonfiction. Like, we just have tons awesome. of nonfiction up here in my office. But, um, yeah, no, I love, and I'm not going to get it all right, and that's okay. Because mm-hmm. what I hope I do is introduce people and get them wanting to look at a historical period and, and say, yeah. oh, hey, look at this is what was going on. Or, 
we make a lot of assumptions. We think everybody in the 20s was living the life of a flapper. And really, that was this tiny percentage, this tiny part of the 1920s culture. And yet, but it was the glamorous part. So it's what was, of course, like what it we, is what we it's known for. Yeah. 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 And I'm not saying I dismiss them. I don't. I just like acknowledges other aspects to the 1920s. There was more to it. The, go, yeah. the women going back into like the home out of, after being employed after the world, the world, yeah. and or like the, my heroine she wants to support herself and she has to take a job that pays half of what her her war wages were and mm-hmm. she's living very parsimoniously so she doesn't have to move back in with her father and his mansion because yeah. that's yeah. not the life she wants and so yeah it's just like what can we do but anyway yeah okay Sarah so, just read um uh, what is it a marriage of equals a marriage of equals a marriage of equals by elizabeth rolls and she messaged me freaking out she's like it's just about normal people yeah it's not about a duke or an earl or it's it's a girl who's a shopkeeper and he's a secretary i'm like i'm here oh my gosh you can text me or email me the name of that book because that yes I'm and then the author's book. note at the end sold me. Like I read the whole book, loved it, got to the author's yeah. note and went, yes. yes. Like the research she did on this, I will send it to you. Yes, do. I do. I love a royal romance. Oh my gosh. Because yes. a royal appointment. I do. I love it. I love those. <laughs> all of it. But I love the real people. I love yeah. like just average. Or when you're writing these really um, kind of, out of this world characters or you know mm-hmm. larger than life sometimes bringing them down or back into a place of normalcy is i try to yeah. do that in my books and i try to like show hey a billionaire still has to eat um yeah. <laughs> uh, they, still, they still have to like you know put their clothes on the same way we put our clothes and like how yeah. does how does that yes there's like all these accoutrements but ultimately our hearts our hearts and how we relate to people those mm-hmm. things are just like they're there across the board mm-hmm. and, you know, finding that, that role. Sorry. I, you know what? You're just raining me in. It's going to, I'm sorry. I'm just, and I'm going to keep saying it because <laughs> I just know You're I just go fine. on. You are <laughs> fine. <laughs> okay. Another thing that we love about your Instagram is seeing your planner, which the day <gasps> that we're recording this, you literally did a, a new post with the planner. So thank you for that. When did you get into using planners and how have you found it to be most helpful i'm one of those people i buy one at the beginning of every year and never <laughs> stick with it so january 15th so my idea out. might really work for you um first of all i got into planners because do you guys read jenna bailey burke she <laughs> writes funny sexy stories she's amazing I'm check her out. okay and she's okay, also I'm a dear friend and i just i love her and she's like do you want to get together and do planning and i'm like what <laughs> Planner. What are you talking about? You know, stickers on the and so she's like telling me like how she's a happy planner with the stickers and how cool this is. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because like I love creativity and that that expression of art. So that was about three years ago, three, four, maybe four years ago. She got me into it. And um, and at first I used my planners to write down like goals for the week. I mean, on each day and like what my plans were for each day and try to like track what I was gonna do. And about a year, year and a half in, it just stopped working. And I didn't hire, they picked up my planner, I would do the decor, and then I would just like let it sit there. And I was like, I don't, I had the cutest stickers for everything, moving out with my husband, all that. And it wasn't COVID. It was just, it just wasn't mm-hmm. 
engaging me and I wasn't like picking it back up. So what I do now is I keep a what I did planner. So if you look at my spread, it's got the times where I have things that have to happen, right? But you don't see like a word count goal for every day. You don't see like what I plan to do because what I do is I write what I did. So at the end of the day, or I have written like all the books I read that day, all of, maybe it was only a chapter out of a Karakunis. Um, If you don't read Karakuni and you love Egyptian um, history, you really want to read Karakuni. She writes, uh, she did the woman Um, who would be king. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. So anyway. I might just read a, a chapter of her book or something like that. So, and I'll write it down because it's what I did that day. It mm-hmm. also, during COVID, really helped that sense of normalcy that every day actually had something happening in it. Because I could look back and say, oh, no, I didn't just lose a week. I wrote 1,200 words that day. I wrote whatever that day. I did edits that day. Oh, I had this idea. I called my daughter. Like, whatever you want to put in it. But I think sometimes almost keeping it as a diary of what you did is a, is a better use of a planner for certain personality types like mine. And then I, you know, yeah. So I keep it with me all the time. So, yes, it's got, like, all the, the appointments, all the doctor's appointments right now, and all the other stuff going on. But... It's it's a really great way of just saying, oh, look, yeah, I did. I read that book or I did get stuff done this week. Because I think at the end of a week, we have this tendency to feel like we didn't get as much done as we wanted to. Yeah. We, we can yeah. really put down on ourselves. So when we track in our planner the stuff we did do and give it legitimacy, say, you know, it was as important to read that chapter of Karakuni as it was to write those 1,200 words. Because mm-hmm. I have to feed my brain if I want anything to come out of it. And that's mm-hmm. another thing is recognizing that that's a, that like my, one of my um, strengths is, um, is, is intellection, but it's also, it's, it's, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? I can't remember, but it's, you just take things in all the time, right? You soak stuff in. So I used to make a carrot out of like, I'll read this book if I get this much done. Okay. But that actually ended up feeding my burnout because reading the book feeds my well. Then I can get the stuff done. But if I wait to read the book till I get the stuff done, then my well is a sludge by the get, the time mm-hmm. I get to the bottom. And so I go to read the book and it's, it only fills it up like this much. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I keep the well full, that book keeps it like sparkly. And like I picture, you know, sparkly water with little rainbows, you know? <laughs> a very happy well, a very happy well. Happy yeah, well so yeah, uh, what I did- Very light. I love it. Very light. <laughs> and that was Jenna's idea too, because she started with the what I did. And I was like, what is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. But yeah, she's she's super smart. I love that idea more. I think that's why I Agreed. don't last very long, is because like yeah. I I look at the blank week and I'm like, okay, I have an appointment this day and I have an appointment yeah. this day. And then you close the book and you put it to the side. And then the end of that week you're looking back and you're like, Oh, okay, so I did those two appointments. And it's just I think to have that at the end of the day to be like, this is all that I did today. Yeah. I mm-hmm. look at it like years down the line, I can whip that right. off the shelf and be like, look at all the things that I used. To do. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, sometimes you track the stuff that like matters. I talked to my daughter. Um, my son came to me and asked me this question or yeah. you know, sometimes those things are really important. And you, you're right. Years down the line, you can look back at that and say, this is when that yeah. kid decided this, or this is when I decided I was going to change this aspect of my life. Or it's mm-hmm. not like a journal. I don't journal. I just write these little tiny short things, you know? Yeah. And yet 
it is. It's very powerful and it's very empowering because it makes me feel like I'm getting things done and I'm not spinning my wheels. And I am getting things done. This is how I'm working on three books at once and and how all of it's coming together because I don't feel stressed. I just, I look at it, I'm like, oh, I can do this. This yeah. does mm-hmm. not. Yeah. Especially like right now, it's been important for me to, like I do journal. I'm a slacker, mm-hmm. but I do it. <laughs> Good for um, you. Good for you. It, I used to do it like every day as a kid. And then the older I get, it just, it's been really hard to get back uh-huh. into it. But I'm like years from now, my kids as grandkids right. may find a journal of mine and be like, yes. wow, she lived through the COVID pandemic. pandemic and yeah. She was doing. <laughs> yeah, right. I love it. <laughs> okay. So we have to talk about queen by Royal appointment. This is the romance between Nikolai and Natalia, and it is so intense, especially in the beginning, but it's this intense romantic blend of duty and desire that starts with a contract Natalia had to sign when she was 18. Wow. And she ends up betrothed to one brother, but winds up fulfilling the contract with Nikolai, whom she's always had this unrequited love for. Can you take us through how their story came to be? Well, it started, the first thing was I I had read a book where the alpha hero was just a little too over the top for me and I didn't like him. And I was mad. That felt like Constantine, the brother. Yeah. Well, (laughs) we can read his book because it needs to remind me of what he is and what he did, but In his relationship with Natalia, he was absolutely not cool, right? So, um, and I was just like, why want to write another book where, because I had written one many years ago, a historical with a similar thing, not the same um, plot at all, but the idea of that first alpha hero you meet is not the one who ends up with the girl or the woman, right? Um, And that's what I want. I wanted this really feisty heroine who doesn't and who figures a way out of this situation that she's in because we often like we get these ideas oh the marriage or contract or whatever and she feels trapped and I'm like I don't want her to feel trapped I want her to be like I'm not trapped I'm going to break this and so she does (laughs) she starts with the 51st dates and she's like um I'm gonna go on all these dates that's gonna make it into the newspaper and then he's going to back out of the contract because he, she knows him well enough to know that he's this really proud guy who's never going to tolerate that. And she's right. Yeah. What she doesn't anticipate is Nikolai's reaction and his like, this woman is just right for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, it, it is really fun. I, I really love their story and I like intense. I like when you get really caught up in the emotion, the third book in the series is the one I'm working on right now. And I just wrote this this scene that ended up being like 30 pages long because it's the beginning of the book, but oh man, does he mess up. And she's like, what is wrong with you? But I love that moment. Because you know, at the end, and I do, I try to um I try to sow seeds of the of the hero's redemption. If if my hero is playing the villain at the beginning of a book, I always try to sow seeds of his redemption from the beginning so that by the end of the book, you're not mad that they're together. But but I didn't think Nikolai was like a bad guy. He was more just really pragmatic and really alpha, like 
this is the right thing and we're going to make this work. And yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's like how that low-key alpha like he yeah, wasn't really? he wasn't yeah. over the top he was like no. real chill with his alpha <laughs> because he's he's not he's like he has to have like kind of a uh control like he can't be mr stomp around and eat because he's running a whole country yeah. and he is aware of the responsibility he's under and that's another thing i i really love when you read in a royal romance or other that the sense of responsibility that people in those positions feel because I think they should feel them right so like I like to know that the characters are aware that their lives aren't just blessed but that they have this huge responsibility to make the world a better place for the people that don't rely on them mm-hmm. and so I don't know I try to do that with Nikolai I try to get show him as a guy who really cares about his country he doesn't really want to have the feels, but he does have the feels. He does, yeah. So, you know, like, but yes, I do. I love an alpha here, and I do think he's more he's more alpha-like um, advanced. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's gotten <laughs> past that point of really making the alpha whole mistakes. Yeah. You know? He doesn't need to stomp around and all of yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. I'm going to chill. I'm still an alpha. Yeah, right. <laughs> So, okay, Nikolai and Natalia both have their own deeply rooted internal struggles. Natalia's hard stop is infidelity, Mm. the relationship with her father and the belief that she won't necessarily measure up to Nikolai's first wife. Like she really just believed they had this really beautiful marriage. And Nikolai in his own ways is pretty wounded after everything he went through with his now deceased wife. And their backgrounds as characters are heavy, but they make you root for them that much more. So when you're in the process of writing, is the background of your characters something you're crafting before you really get into the story? Or does what make them who they are come to you the more you're like in the thick of writing it? I feel like when I write, even when I'm totally writing by the seat of my pants, I have to know my characters. And so... I know the basic, like that core, whatever's driving them. And I don't, I'm not talking about even their goal or the, I'm talking about what drives them as a human being. Like what is, what is their basic core of who they are? And I might tweak what creates that core, but I usually know at least one incident i i call them the inciting incidents for that core that we because we all have them in life right the things that happen to us that create who we are today and i prefer to have multiple incidents because i find it unrealistic for someone to be completely against marriage if they've only ever had one bad thing happen in a relationship (laughs) right but it but if say you're raised in a really restrictive environment where you see it being like used as a weapon over women, then you're you're gonna you're gonna have multiple incidents. Or say the the hero who never wants to love again because he's had one bad situation. But with Nikolai, it was more than one thing, right? He had a marriage that everyone else thought was perfect, but it was not. Yeah. And she hurt him. But also he'd lost his mother when he was a young, young man. Mm-hmm. And he had gone through that formative and his father, he'd almost lost him to a heart attack. So you have these formative moments that make him that really kind of insulated guy he is. The guy who doesn't show his emotion, the guy who looks at everything for a long time before he makes a decision because decisions can lead to something really bad, like marrying a woman who ends up being 
not good for you and not good for your country. So, um, but it's the same with, with Natalia. And I do, I kind of, sometimes characters will come to me fully formed and I'm not really sure where from, because I, I know they're little bits of the people that I've met and the people I've talked to and the books I've read and whatever, but they just come and they're just there in my head. And sometimes I have to go digging for why, why are you so this way? Why is it so important to you? And I do talk to them. That's okay. That's fine. It's Absolutely. like they come to you like, hey, this yeah. is who I am, girl. Yeah. You go ahead and fill yeah. in all the blanks. Yeah. <laughs> this is me. Yeah. When I read a book and I see an author like forcing a character to do something so out of character or how they've written the character to be to that mm -hmm. point for a plot point, I actually, that will probably be my number one, like throw a book across the room or at the mm. wall if it's not my Kindle. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> you know, like, because... I, I don't get it. I don't get how you can force a character to do something completely out of character. Mm -hmm. Because to me, it's like they just wouldn't. My characters would be like, uh, yeah, you're going to write for the next two weeks because I ain't doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but I do know it happens because I've read it and I've seen it. You've seen it on television. We've seen it in yeah. movies. And you're just like, seriously, that character would never do that. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you said that? That's, right. that's not yeah, on brand true. for you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one really cool thing about Natalia is that she's a professional hacker, which I thought Love was it. genius because she has trust issues. Yeah, right? Right? <laughs> Why would hacking? Oh, maybe. <laughs> but so she like she looks into Nikolai's background and she learns that on paper he is basically her dream guy because she doesn't find anything. But to her, that's still not enough. And one small quote that really summarizes her, I think, it says, Natalia would not spend her life finding satisfaction in her duty and her position. There had to be more. And with her, we see that she wants more than just the marriage. And she's really firm in if she's not getting more, she's not going to marry. So we yeah. found that to be really inspiring, like a character trait about her. But what was it about Natalia specifically that you wanted readers to take away from her? That is really key, what you just said. I love that you guys like that, that came to you. And like, you saw that because one of the things when I'm reading romance that bugs me is the heroine who settles because I'm trying, I, I want to write a story. I want to read a story about people who are seeking something maybe different, something mm -hmm. bigger, or if not bigger, just not that same old. Right. And just because she was raised in an environment where people were got married because of duty or whatever, there's reasons why she broke out of it. And so I wanted people to see that she was, she had become different. She was not the same person who was the nine-year-old who left her country and who had been raised within the rural environment and saw the world through the eyes of royalty. And I think she, I don't, I mean, hopefully you guys saw too, but she made Nikolai see that she doesn't see the world the same way he does. Yeah. Like his view of duty and her view of duty do not match because her belief, her duty is to her family first, which yeah. is very much not the way that we think of a royal thinking. But she'd been through the ringer because her parents hadn't put family first, because her parents had made different choices and, and her mom had put up with stuff that maybe she wouldn't have put up with if she wasn't a royal, a part of the royal family. Yeah. And, and his fear was really like, because his deceased wife, mm -hmm. she really wanted none of the duty part. Like, right. She just it was all about like the position. Cake in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah. Natalia's like, I know, like, I know what's expected yeah. of me. But like, to her, yeah. it's like, if it's not love, 
that is not worth it, you know? Right. And yeah, it just took Nikolai. He had to see it. <laughs> we had to get there. So Nikolai thinks he is absolutely not romantic, which is the total opposite of who he actually is. We right. get multiple scenes of him brushing his thumb over her palm or kissing the yeah. inside of her palm. And he clears his schedule to go and get her and bring her home. And they were really gentle gestures that were the complete opposite of what he thought that he was. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those gentle romantic gestures can feel like they get overshadowed by everything else happening in romance novels. Like mm -hmm. Sarah and I chat about it all the time. Like sometimes it feels like the romantic part of romance is missing and you yes. don't realize it because we just read so many and then you yeah. read yeah. one and you're like, wow, this was actually like really romantic. So especially yeah. in this book, they really felt important to see because we know Natalia doesn't believe she can compete with Nikolai's first choice right. of a wife. So it was this constant push and pull and those gestures were reaffirming without trying to be, it felt mm -hmm. like. So yeah. how important for you as a writer is the inclusion of those like simple romantic gestures? See, I think it's really important. I think that when we put... It's all part of characterization, but it's part of me knowing the character too. Like I knew Nikolai didn't see himself the way he really was because he saw himself as he thought he was supposed to be, which was, oh my gosh, I just had this realization. My husband, when I first met him, idolized Spock and Data. Okay. Because <laughs> he thought the epitome of masculinity was stoicism. Okay. And yet he had this tender talk about it. like he would touch my hand, he would hold my arm, he would put his arm around me. And yet when it came to verbalizing or acknowledging those gestures as anything other than like that they actually happened, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> he would he just wouldn't. He would he was really in that it took I mean, we totally fell in love and got married like after 11 months, but it's still, he was still working on the whole, like coming out of that data shell, that mm -hmm. Spock shell. And I just realized that this is Nikolai. Like that, cause I always say there's a part of my husband in every hero, but I never know who, what it is until like I go back and read the book. So talking about it, and I don't usually reread my books until two years yep. after the publication. So talking to you guys about it is making me see what part of Tom is in Nikolai. And that's the part. It's that he thinks that to be the ultra masculine guy, he's not supposed to show emotion. He's not supposed to be romantic. That's just yeah. a waste of time. And yet by his actions, he shows that underneath, he is this really good guy yeah. who knows how to make her feel cherished and wants to make her feel cherished, mm -hmm. but doesn't want to acknowledge he wants to make her feel cherished. And I think that's realistic, obviously, because I lived it. But I'm just saying <laughs> you know, like, that I get it. And I and I often like, why do I think alpha heroes are so awesome? Because like because they have this transformation. You have this chance to transform from this this guy who who's hiding from emotion or doesn't want to have emotion to a guy who actually really embraces it. Because yeah. always I hope at the end of my books you have this sense of he is ready and he and he usually will be even more vocal about his feelings than she is and then she will respond and that's you know i have to say presents the present series is giving me a whole new level of respect for the alpha male yeah really <laughs> i could really Very take true. it or leave it before but the more yeah. and more that i read them i'm like 
they're not so bad. No. <laughs> right. I've got some favorites. Like I, I really love like Abby Green and Heidi Rice and Lynn Graham. And oh my goodness, their books are so good. And and those are the alpha males that I want to read. I want to read about these guys that start off here and they and they move to the other side of it. I don't want to read an alpha hero who starts off as a, as an alpha jerk and he ends up as an alpha jerk. And I'm not saying yeah. that happens and presents. It may or may not, but I'm just saying like it can happen in a book. And it's like, that's not what I want to write or what I want to read. I just, yeah. I love it. But I love so many of the presents authors. We have got, they're good presents books mm-hmm. out there. There's a reason I still write that. This is what yeah. I love to write. And this is yeah. like, it's my primary focus, although I will say I'm loving my historical I'm working on, but yeah. <laughs> oh, we can't wait for that. Oh, no. <laughs> so before we get into fill in the sentence, I want to talk, I want to ask you this. How mm-hmm. would you describe Presents yes. to someone that was new to category or, you know, maybe they have been reading Harlequin, but they've never picked up a Presents? How would you describe it? I would say that Presents is the story you get to read, whereas a reader you get the buffer of fantasy between you and the reality of emotion so that you can feel all of that deep emotion without getting lost in it and drown in it. And I love that. I think that we give readers the opportunity to read about stories and people that are kind of outside of their normal lives so that they can read about feelings that they feel and experiences they've experienced and heartache they have experienced or have known someone else who's experienced. And Yes, we have alpha heroes. And yes, we have, I would say, very strong, intelligent heroines. And I've been writing for Presents for a while, and I've been allowed to write books on issues that I was never allowed to write in single title. And Presents is that kind of a line where you are allowed to um, introduce new concepts where we can explore true areas of women and um, issues they're facing in the modern life. And I can just point to so many of my books where I just, I was given the permission and and allowed to, to really explore something that uh, might've been too risky in single title, but presents, let me do it. And I'm grateful because I've gotten so many reader letters from people who are like, I'm not alone. There's, there is a, you know, like I remember writing the shy bride and the heroine is um, she's dealing with agoraphobia, which I struggle with. And it was the beginning of my journey of agoraphobia. And I didn't know how many years and the rest of my life I was going to deal with this particular issue. And writing her story was so affirming because it reminded me that you don't have to be perfect to be loved. And my husband wasn't going to fall out of love with me because suddenly I struggled to leave the house. Um, But it also helped readers because I heard from them know that they weren't alone in their feelings and their inability to function as like how we consider normal. So yeah, I love presents because it gives you, yes, a very classic romance, but it also gives you some really deep concepts and some beautiful writing. There are so many good presents writers out there and I just love them. I love my fellow writers. I think they are fantastic at what they do. Yeah. Sarah and I, we were chatting recently because I am like, I love presents. I'm really new to it, Mm -hmm. but like the more and more that I read it, I'm like, this is so good (laughs) because I just, I don't know. I'm a daydreamer and I just think about those days. What girl doesn't want to be in a pretty dress and like fly all over the world. But like, 
and and Sarah has always said like when people think of Harlequin, they think of Presents. It's like but, like it's not like the first series. And I was like, what is it about this series that you think? Like I was trying to ask her, like, what do you think is the reason for that? Yeah. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. I mean, besides the cover, I mean, the covers, you know, a presents book, but Mm -hmm. I do think there's something about like the fantasy element that just every girl, what girl doesn't want that? They're the classic (laughs) romance novel, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're written, they update like the presents that you read in the, from the seventies and the eighties are different than the presents of today and they were great for their time and the presents yes. today are great for our time. And then 30 years from now, I hope the line is still going. And yes. I hope that there will be authors saying the presents of the 2000s were great <laughs> for their time. And, you know, like, because it's just, it's the, the concept of romance is so old. Chaucer dealt with romance, you know, like this is, human relationship especially the romantic relationship is one that we have it's what we tell stories about yeah how many of the myths deal with a concept not great romance i'm talking tragedy but we'll deal with that the concept of love and and sexual desire and all of that and yeah i think i do think the classic romance and i think that the the there are just some really fine writers. I'm just going to say that too. I, oh, yeah. Editors are fantastic. They're they're so good at bringing. There's fine writers in all the lines. One of my favorite authors is um, is Carrie Nichols, and she writes for Special Edition, and I just love her stories. I'm reading um, her right now. Yes, yeah, she's good. She's so good. I love her. <laughs> yes, yes, and so you know, um, so I you know I do. I read across the lines, but mm-hmm. Presents is probably always going to be my favorite because I love yeah. the author hero. I love the combination because here's my: the stronger you make the hero, the stronger the heroine can be. Right? Yeah, yeah. If you write Absolutely. either character is weak, it will feel like an imbalanced relationship. So I love that I can write really powerful heroines because I write really powerful heroes. And that is that's Natalia to the key because like. Yeah. In the beginning, like Constantine and, and the king, yeah. they're like rattling off. And she's just like beat for beat, holds yeah. around. And like, there's like yeah. one minute where she sweats just a little bit. She's like, oh gosh. But like, she just, nope, yeah. not in yeah. front of them. I'm not going to show this weakness. And <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> and could you write that if your hero was maybe more namby-pamby? Because- yeah. It wouldn't feel right. Would it? Would it? Yeah. It wouldn't feel that that balance wouldn't be there. So yeah, I think it gives us a little bit of freedom to maybe take our heroines. I, I look at my heroines. <laughs> my um, youngest daughter is so not interested in a relationship right now, but she is like one of my like inspirations for heroines. She's so freaking feisty, and I love it. So it's my <laughs> oldest daughter, super feisty, and I just love that. That's how they live their life. Yeah. And that's what I want to write. I want to write a heroine that my readers can and want to identify yeah. with. Yeah. And yeah. And I'm fully aware. I know some of my books are picked up by 12-year-olds and and read. And no, it's not a good idea if you're a 12-year-old listening. Really? I think wait a few years. I made my kids wait till they were 16. Just saying. <laughs> but I do know what happens. And so I, I want to give them that example of a story between two characters that I wouldn't mind them thinking, oh, this is okay. This is an yeah. okay relationship to have. Yep. 
Yeah. Awesome. I'm like, I can't wait for my daughter. I'm like, I'll just slide her the book. I mean, cause right? I was, I was like, I would have loved to read Natalia yeah. as a teenager and to yeah. see that example of like a woman that's like, I'm not taking any of your shit. Keep throwing it at me yep. and I'm not taking it. Mm-hmm. Like, we can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. So are you ready Thank for you. some fill in the sentence and sure. some rapid fire? Here's hoping, right? Because I read it. But okay. Let's do it. Okay, when I'm not writing, I'm? Uh, telling a story in my head. This is truth. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> we love it. Right? My teenage celebrity crush was? Oh, Lee Horsley. Yeah, he played, um, oh, Matt Houston. Yeah, I look back and I'm like, huh? He had the, like, the brown mustache and the curly brown hair. And I'm like, total crush. We I, all had him. We all the had only him. show right? I would sit down and watch every week and my mom was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> um, my planner accessory that I, uh, I shamelessly have way too much of is? Stickers. I have. Right. Huh? Right? Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, yeah. you do. Like, I don't know. I think I have. No, I'm I probably do have a lot of washi me. tape, but yes. Stickers. Oh, yes. But I actually have way more stickers than even washi tape, and I have a lot of washi tape. <laughs> this is All true. Right. Yep. It's okay. <laughs> My most comfortable attire is pajamas. Yeah. I'm so down for pajamas. And we just live in pajamas. It's awesome. <laughs> One film I will never stop watching is? Oh, gosh. That one's actually hard, but I really love uh, French Kiss. I don't usually like romantic movies because I think they get them wrong a lot, but I love that. <laughs> I love it. A romance author that's like, nope, don't watch those. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't say The Mummy. Oh, I do love The Mummy. Oh, my goodness, I do. In fact, I love the mummy. That whole series. Yes. But, yes. But you know, there is, there is, I thought when they get a romance movie right for me, it makes me very, very happy. <laughs> um, one hill I will wholeheartedly die on is? Romance is for women with brains. Love, love it. it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I mean, it's for everybody. Like, I'm not just saying it's only for women. Obviously, that is not what, but it is for people who are Mm -hmm. thinking people. It isn't, it, you are not putting your intellect away when you pick up a romance novel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, The first song on the soundtrack to your life is? Oh, Que Sera Sera by Doris Day. Whatever will be, will be. Nice. Love that. Nice. Um, you decide you want takeout for dinner. Where are you ordering from and what's your order? My favorite takeout is Vietnamese food. My mother-in-law is from Vietnam and she is a fantastic cook. And she took me to a Vietnamese restaurant for the first time uh, the year before Tom and I got married. And so now I order, my very favorite thing is pho, which is, you know, the beef noodle soup. Um, yeah. So that's my order. With a lot of spice, that little chili, that chili oil. Mm-mm. Yeah. But none of those weird meatballs. Sorry, I'm not into boiled meatballs. I swear that bowl of soup is like yeah. a warm hug to the right? soul. I love it. I love it. Um, 15 years from now, you're writing your memoir. What's the title? 
<laughs> she did it. <laughs> I, love I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, what is one super specific thing that annoys you? Sorry, because I really hate saying the stuff that annoys me. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something. Sorry, because like I just had a, like one of those brain freezes. There's plenty of things that mean people. Like, okay, so you, I don't really care where you're calling or what. People who are just rude instead of being compassionate or kind, yeah. kindness costs nothing. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I find it really annoying. <laughs> Thank you. As someone who works in customer service for a living, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what is your preferred reading method? Ebook, audiobook, or physical book? I like them all. I really, really do. It um, when I'm having a migraine, a physical book or an audiobook are easier on my eyes because mm -hmm. the e-reading I have like five or six thousand books on my uh, on my tablet and maybe another close to a thousand on my Kindle. And I love them, but it's still a, a screen, right? So you've got to get off screens, but I do love them. And so like when I go travel, I take the, the eBooks with me because I can take all of my rereads and my new, you know, my to be reads in one little, cause I used to take like a stack of six books. On oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And so, um, but yeah, I love, I love them all. I, I really can't say which I love the most. I have never actually listened to fiction and audiobook. I bought a few, but I haven't listened to them. Most of my audiobooks I listen to are nonfiction. Okay. So I don't know if I like fiction and audiobooks. I have to try that. Depends on the narrator. Yeah. Depends yeah. on the book. Mm -hmm. I just read so fast that Same. I find, I, yeah, so isn't it hard? Because it's like the audiobook's going to take you nine or 12 hours to finish, maybe more. And you read it in like three to six hours, depending on the length of the book. And so it's like, how many more books can I get through if I'm the one reading? Also, nobody has an imagination like mine. So no matter how good the narrator is, they're not going to picture the picture in my head. There's just no yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we have to get you to listen to a romance on I have by the say, end of the year. <laughs> I have read Outlander six times. Four of yeah. those times have been on audio because the narration on it is unbelievable. Oh, unbelievable. It. it just brings an entire new dimension to the story. Yeah. For me to enjoy audio, I've got to enjoy the narration. It just Absolutely. can't be a way to fly through the book. Do it you know what I mean? Yeah, it would have yeah. to be. Yeah. So oh. you guys will have to like figure a book for me to listen to that isn't too long. I think Outlander might be a bit 33 too hours. long. <laughs> we won't start with my that. first audio fiction book. Yeah. Yeah. But nonfiction yeah, audio is a fantastic it's, way to get through perfect. it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how I got into audio as I started with nonfiction yes. and then yes. I just yeah. eased my way into fiction. And yeah. It was, it was perfect. Yeah, absolutely. What was the last book you read? Um, I just reread a book by Amy Lane called, um, I think it's called Stain It Black, Paint It Black, Paint It Black. And it's, um, she writes male, male romance, right? So she has, and it's a, uh, it's set in a, a rock star world and she, okay. but she does emotion like, Oh, nobody's business. 
And yeah, so that I just reread that last night before bed. Sometimes I'll be reading new books. Sometimes I'll just go through like a whole pile of rereads. Yeah. I have arthritis in my back. The other day I go downstairs because my crack dealer or and or friend, Carrie Nichols, who tells me which books, <laughs> did you read? Do you remember this book? And I just love it. I'm like, oh my God, I so I go down there and Elizabeth Lowell to reread just one book by her, sat on the floor for three hours rereading my favorite scenes from this whole series that she had done. And I'm like, okay, crack dealer. <laughs> We're just it on the floor. We all need a crack dealer in our lives. We all can use a crack dealer in our lives. Have you read this book? Go read it. Bri and I have each other for that. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. You're definitely my it. crack dealer. You gotta have that friend. You gotta have that yeah. friend that's like they get yeah. like what makes a book a reread for you. So when they're saying, Oh, do you remember yes. that scene? You're like, oh, so often she now go back and forth and we have the same books on our shelves of rereads and it's really funny it's kind of <laughs> i love it so lastly i mean we know you know we have queen by royal appointment but like mm -hmm. what is next what yes. else can we look forward to do you have anything else coming out this year or what yes in um october on october 25th i uh, what is it called <laughs> i don't title my own books I struggle and it's like I just had it on in front of me. Uh his oh his majesty's hidden heir. And it's okay. Constantine's book. And I think by the end of it you'll be in love. Oh gosh. <laughs> right? Because you have to redeem okay. him. You have to like bring him back full circle to where he's not a totally bad guy. And right. um, but he's not perfect either. Nobody, like, right? We don't need to be perfect to be loved. So that's kind of the, a concept or an idea. That's really important to me in writing. But yeah, so that book is out in October. And then it, the the third book in the mini series is going to be out hopefully the spring following if I get it written um, when I plan to, which is now. I just have some health stuff going on and mm -hmm. we're going to like get that taken care of. So, but yeah, and um, with the historical, I will be sending that to my agent, I hope within the next month or two and then see where that goes. And hopefully Yay. we'll see publication on that i mean if you want to be a beta reader i'm all about like hey you can have a look at the book and say does this work did she actually get we this quit the 1920s? twist our arms <laughs> right, <Bri? laughs> right i mean sure, I just why this era. so i'm like so keen to hear what somebody might think of it because it's like a real new thing for me but very exciting awesome well, hashtag we need to see it. So any yes. agents or editor okay. people out there, mm -hmm. you heard it here first. Okay. We yes. want the book. <laughs> so let's make it happen. I love it. Where okay. can everybody follow you online? Okay. I have Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and of course my website. And I am on Goodreads, but I don't do anything on Goodreads. I'm just there so people can find all of the books that are gotcha. together. Um, but it's like Lucy Monroe romance or Lucy Monroe dot romance or just Lucy Monroe, like on Twitter, uh, easy to find me. And if you go to my website, lucymonroe.com, you can click to any of my, like my YouTube channel, all of that's at the top of the page. And it's just a click easy to find. Okay. Easy, okay. Awesome. And, and I mean, we're wanting a new YouTube video, so I'm just saying, right. I know, just like tell YouTube me what, video, like, Lucy. what do y'all want to hear about in the writing world? Like how, 
I'm totally happy to to address a, a writing issue. Can we yeah, get a like, writing oh. vlog? Mm. Oh, see, someone has, has told me you should do like a podcast or a vlog. And I'm like, like about what? <laughs> i'm all about encouragement and i do think that it could be a good one it could be really fun to do something about like burnout or protecting your creative Mm -hmm. process because i think that is so important and i think a lot of authors get um they can get really stomped by by just the world and life and just their creativity can really get pulled back especially that need to make a living doing something that requires you to use your creative mind and it's not always yeah. easy and if you yeah. have someone who doesn't naturally write fast being told they have to write fast in order to be a success you could end up with someone who just doesn't write at all and so how do we find that yeah, yeah. how do we find that the 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 meet the happy medium the uh how do we protect ourselves and yet manage to live in this world that's very very based on like making enough money to live and just mm-hmm. that whole thing. So yeah, I think that could be a really good. Well, I definitely, yeah, I think like a burn, the burnout video or like a series, Agreed. it could be a series. I think it would be great because yeah. I think there's this expectation. Most of us are staying at home. So like if yeah. I'm an aspiring writer, I should have all this time oh. and I should just be writing mm-hmm. and that could lead to burnout. So to hear sure. from an OG sure. like yourself, how to avoid yeah. it. I think right. it would be great. Right. <laughs> and you know, and I do, I, I have heard from way more authors struggling to write during this time than those who are writing. Like for me, writing is a way to process emotion. So I would maybe mm-hmm. have written more than I would have otherwise. And other people are like not writing at all. And I think accepting where we are at and being like, that's okay. It is okay that you had, you know, you were home for nine months straight and you didn't write a single word because guess what you survived nine months straight at home with whoever you're living with yeah and (laughs) we made it through all of these things that we have to do and yeah I think that that's that's a message we need to tell each other that it's okay to be Mm -hmm. you that you don't have to be somebody else and you don't have to live up to the expectations of other people like we need to keep saying that over and over again to each other just yeah. reaffirm that it's like Absolutely. this is about you being happy not someone else being happy in your skin mm-hmm. yeah okay well this has been amazing thank you so much so for fun. coming on oh, and chatting fun. with us you guys are <laughs> awesome like seriously thank terrific thank you for having me <laughs> i thank really you. enjoyed it well thank all of lucy's information will be down in the show notes make sure you check it out go follow her keep up with her mm-hmm. and yeah go pick up your copy of queen by royal appointment because yes. by the time this episode comes out it is out mm-hmm. we That's loved right. it we read it definitely go mm-hmm. and get your hands on a copy and sarah and i will chat with you in our next episode